Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We hope you experience God today. Make sure you visit us at risenking.life to take all your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Because today is uh, just such a special emphasis on how we want to reach the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We have with us a, a special speaker today. Uh, Eric Wallen is here with us. Eric and his wife Christina and their family, they've been uh, international workers with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Mongolia. And I, uh, Eric and, and his family have been with us here at Risen King since August. They've been the international workers in residence at NIAC and at ATS. But uh, what has gotten me really excited is uh, Eric started a business in Mongolia roasting coffee. Coffee is one of God's good gifts. All right? It's a little taste of heaven. They're going to serve it at, the, at the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm certain of it. All right? <laughs> so would you welcome Eric to come and speak to us this morning? Thank you, Eric. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, 60 workers. I, I don't know if I can really underscore how many people that is. I mean, that's 30 couples, right? Or it's however, I'm not going to be able to do math in front of all of you, so I'm not going to try, but it's singles too. It's a lot of people, and that doesn't include their children. So uh, please, you know, if you feel led at all to give, man, it's expensive. I think normally we send out 12, 15 people, or 15 workers. I'm not entirely sure how many people go out every year. So this is a tall order. I mean, this is a lot of people. So I would encourage you, thank you. You're not just giving to the Great Commission Fund, but you're, you're giving to my family, you're giving to other families. You're putting food on the table so that we can be the presence of Christ in countries where people haven't heard the gospel. So please give. Before I go any further, and I miss my slides, this is my family. Maybe you recognize us now. That's my wife, Christina. We've been married for 19 years. Uh, and uh, that's my son, Jack. He's going to be 15 in a couple weeks. Becca is not here today because she has the flu. She's struggling a little bit. And Anna is probably helping in the nursery. She's 11. So that's us. When we went to Mongolia, our, our kids were four, uh, what were they, four, two, and six months. So they're very young. And being in Mongolia was, for them, it was home. You know, they learned some of the language. They learned all the bad words of Mongolian on the playground <laughs> and, uh, and, all, and all that stuff. And they went to preschool. They went to school. Most of their friends were Mongolian. Uh, you know, they, they lived life. They did kid stuff. They played video games. They rode their bikes. They did all the normal kid stuff. And a bit about what we did. So you heard about the coffee thing. So we started this coffee house as a, it really was a project and it turned into more of a business very quickly because the government did an audit and said, hey, you got to be a real business. So that's what we did. And pretty soon within five years, we became the largest roastery in the entire country. So it was, it was amazing how God just took a stupid little hobby that I had. I roasted coffee in a pop, popcorn popper. Is there any coffee roasters in here? Yeah. All right. There we go. So I'm not the only weirdo in the room. That's great. So, so really, God just took this little hobby that I had, and he blossomed it into, into two cafes, a full-out you know, business that we sold in 2017, and, and he turned it into something for his glory and honor. Uh, besides our stuff, besides me doing coffee, Christina taught English. In fact, she led, I think, about 300 people through the program over a number of years, uh, all the way from basic, hey, my name is so-and-so, all the way to conversational business English. So she used something as simple as English really to mentor women, uh, to spend time with students that didn't know Jesus, and to really get into their lives, and it was just an amazing thing. But 
Besides that, our teams that are still there now, they're doing a variety of different ministries. We have a fully accredited seminary that is focusing on leadership development uh, all over the country. Church planting, of course, because in the Christian Missionary Alliance, that's really the core of what we do is church planting. Uh, but then we also did other stuff. We had a lot of relief projects. Mongolia is one of the coldest countries in the world, and so uh, every once in a while we have these storms that come through. They last for about a week, and, and not really farmers, but herders, because a lot of the people are still nomadic. They're left out in the countryside without support at all. So we're able to do a lot of relief projects due to these blizzards and other problems that happen. There's a, a ton of different agricultural or craft projects, small business initiatives like well drilling, uh, even we had a, a guy for a while that started a small business making knives. That's a thing too. So, so he did that, and, and we've got a, a lot of different things like that happening. But besides that, there's also sports ministry, uh, English-speaking international church for expatriates and Mongolians, just lots of different ways that we were able to represent Christ in a variety of different walks in Mongolia. So you're probably thinking, here comes the missionary talk, here comes the guilt trip where I say that everybody should be missionaries. Well, that's ridiculous. That's not true, nor is it possible. I don't think that's what God has for us. But I'm also not going to give you the, the cultural talk that maybe some of you are also expecting, because I've been in too many churches where I've done the cultural talk, and there's somebody in the back that's fact-checking, and I don't want to deal with that. I've lived there, and sometimes I'm more right than Google. So I'm not going to talk about the, the strange cultural stuff. Sometimes I'm, you know, I'm not going to talk about the weird food from the wolf dumplings or the cup of badger blood or the fried marmot or the sheep intestine soup. I'm not going to talk about any of that fun stuff, even though I've got a really good list of weird foods in my life. Instead, I, I want to talk about missions. In fact, and I missed Mongolia. I forgot to point out where Mongolia is. There we go. So it's just south of Russia, just south of Siberia. It's actually colder in Mongolia than in many parts of Siberia. Uh, and it's north of China. But today I want to ask this question. How do you define missions? So we're going to take 15, 20 seconds, okay? Something like that. And if you could turn to the people around you, whatever which way you want to go, right or left, or in front or behind, and just ask each other, how do you define missions? So think like biblically maybe, think of examples, something that I've talked about potentially or others. Go. All right. If I could guess, there's probably 200 plus answers in here for missions. It's, it's actually pretty complicated. Uh, it's just talking about what we do in Mongolia. All over the world, the Christian Missionary Alliance is doing a variety of different things to be the presence of Christ in countries where people haven't heard. But even biblically, it's actually a pretty big topic. But today, we're going to talk about this, and I promise not to pull the whole thing apart. We're just going to talk a bit about it. But Chuck Davis, this is one of the best definitions of missions that I've heard. He says this, that the task of the church, missions is the task of the church, to cooperate with God in the incarnation, demonstration, and proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom through intentional boundary crossing to the unevangelized or least evangelized of the world, with the goal of making disciples and planting local churches which do the same, while bringing transformation to the broken places of society and individual care to the entire person. Whew. So today, there's that. I hope you memorized it by now. We're going to just focus on this part, that it is the task of us, the church, right? It's the task of the church to cooperate with God. So to do that, we're going to go to Matthew 11 today. And, uh, and if you would read with me, uh, because that's what we do here, and I like it. If it ain't broke, we're going to keep it going. We're going to read 10 verses, uh, 20 through 30. All right, let's read. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! 
For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and reveal them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Amen. So today I want to give you three points to focus on that will help us understand our task in cooperating with God. And the first is a warning, second revealing, and last calling. So with warning, these cities, we really don't know a lot about these cities, especially Chorazin actually, that's, that's the weird one. Archaeologists have figured out that Chorazin was known for wheat. I'm from the Midwest, I'm known for the dairy stuff, right? Like cheesehead, that whole thing. I think wheat is a bit of a step lower, but there's Chorazin. So we don't know a lot, but what theologians say is that really this is the evangelistic triangle that, that Jesus traveled in. It's kind of an obtuse triangle of sorts. But here, he did a lot of his miracles. In fact, he did most of his miracles, his mighty works there. And to name a few, just a handful really, is he healed the blind, he walked on water, fed 5,000, that was only counting the men, probably not the women and children, so it was far more than that. He healed someone who was paralyzed, healed a centurion servant, remember from afar, and he healed a demon-possessed man. So Jesus did a lot of stuff. He did a lot of uh, very public things, right? Like, so if, if he fed the 5,000, either you were fed by him or else maybe your cousin was. There was this idea that it was a very public miracle. And he kind of did this private miracle too, right? He walked on water, only his disciples were there, 12 or however many there were at the time. I don't know, really. doesn't say how many were in the boat. But there was a small number, and that was more of a private miracle. But still, Jesus did a lot in those places. Yet here Jesus is, and he, and he says, Whoa. And woe isn't really a term. It's fairly archaic. It's something that we don't normally say on a regular basis. But it really means, it's like this term of sorrow, it's this term of distress. That Jesus, as he is prophesying judgment and repentance, and it's almost like this message of, yeah, it's kind of too late to them, to these people there. In that, there's a sorrow and there's a distress. I mean, anything and everything went, right, in Sodom. And he's like, man, if they saw the stuff that I did, they would have repented. It still would have been here. Sodom still would be around, but instead, no, 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 you guys, you completely missed it. So I do want to throw out today, really, you know, think, this is a weird part in, in, in Scripture, if I could say, I guess I am saying so. It's a weird place in Scripture because it seems to just plop down in the middle of what Jesus is doing in, in this discord here. He's, he's saying to this group of people, and we know that in Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures that we might have hope. 
So I don't want to throw this warning today down hard on you and saying, listen, this is what's going to happen to you. But at the same time, I think we can learn from other people's mistakes, right? Like generally, you want to, you want to follow Jesus in Scripture. You don't want to really follow anybody else. There's a bunch of terrible people in the Bible, and I am so thankful, so thankful that my stuff isn't written of in Scripture. I mean, rough. Rough people. My past is fair to Midland, okay. Kidding. Um, but really, but here, here Jesus is, and he throws down this, this judgment, really, and he's prophesying about what it's going to be for, the, for these towns, for these people. And in this, it seems that the miracles that Jesus did, even though the Father touched those people there, the miracles that Jesus did, it didn't, it didn't get inside. It didn't touch their hearts. They wanted to be fed, right? They wanted to be fed, and they got their meal, and what's the next thing that they did? They tried to establish him as king. Why? Because they wanted to be fed again. There was, there was something there. He was doing stuff. They wanted to get rid of the demons, get rid of their problems, and that was all well and good, but really it, it didn't go any deeper. Now what's interesting about this, a couple interesting parallels. The first one is in Luke 10. It's the exact same scene where Jesus is condemning these three cities. And in this though, the, the weird but super cool part is, is that the people around him are actually the 72, the 72 disciples. And he's about to commission them to go out to the cities ahead of him to cooperate him in proclaiming the kingdom. So in the middle of this thing, he's, he's about to send them out. And then just like this, Luke 10, 16, he says this, The one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. So if they listen to you, they're hearing my words. As you proclaim the kingdom, I'm sending you to proclaim and I'm going to send you to heal. And as you do that, they're hearing my words. But if they're going to reject you, hey, they're also rejecting me and they're rejecting the Father. They're rejecting, they're rejecting all of us altogether. They're rejecting what the Father has for them. So in this commission, really, like Jesus is already showing just a glimpse of what his heart is. He wasn't just there for John the Baptist, right? And John the Baptist is another one where just previous to this, John the Baptist is being compared to Jesus. And what was John the Baptist's whole thing? Somebody say it real quick. Yeah, I make straight the way of the Lord, right? So like even there, like John the Baptist is partnering with Jesus in what he was called to. But Jesus didn't come just for John the Baptist and his disciples. He didn't just come for the 12 and the 72. No, Jesus already was looking out to the cities in that region. And he's looking to proclaim the kingdom, right? He's looking to bring the good news to these people. So really in all of this, Jesus is trying to make a point. He's trying to show his heart for the world. He's showing the Father's heart for the world, but he's trying to show his heart for the world and his love for them and that they have more than just the miracles among them. So even though he drops down this condemnation, really, really in a way, in a strange place with the 72, and there was probably onlookers, right? Like when Jesus does something, when he speaks, or when he does miracles, people are always watching. There's something different about Jesus that draws people to him. So there's probably onlookers, but really he's speaking to the 72 in this, and he drops this condemnation and just throws it out, this, this prophecy of judgment. A friend of mine uh, named Andrew, he, uh, he and I met in college. We look almost exactly alike. It's kind of a weird situation. We first saw each other. We stopped and stared for about 30 seconds straight. We became really good friends. Uh, super weird. But we've been, we've been friends for a number of years. And about four years ago, he and his wife found out that they were going to have twins. Uh, it was, they already had two little girls that were five and seven, and so they were a bit older. And, and as they were going to go to the hospital and his wife was in labor, she sensed something just wasn't right with the babies. 
So they got to the hospital, and the eight minutes while they were giving birth to their son, while she was giving birth to their son, the doctors realized that the placenta for their soon-to-be-born daughter collapsed. And for eight minutes, she was without oxygen. So they did an emergency C-section, and they, and they got, the, got her out. They delivered her, and then for an additional, additional 19 minutes, gray and lifeless, she didn't have a heartbeat, she did not have oxygen. They couldn't get anything happening with her at all. She was gone. The doctor proclaimed, or whatever it is, he declared a time of death. And at that time, my friend Andrew, his mother-in-law came up and said, hey, she needs to hear her father's voice. What do you do? He has a new son who's healthy. And there's his daughter. Like, what do you say at that time? And without having a clue of what he was going to do, he walked over and he put his hand on her and he said, in Jesus' name, breathe. And boom, at that second, she gasped. Praise God. She gasped and she breathed again. The entire delivery room saw it. The doctors, nurses, everybody saw it. Family saw And the doctors did all these tests. And they said, oh, she's going to have brain damage. She's going to have these physical problems. It's going to be this and that. I saw her a couple weeks ago, cute as anything else. She's running around, you know, three years old, just healthy as anything. What a miracle, right? Praise God. Here's the catch, okay? During this time, just previous to this, my friend, Andrew, was unfaithful to his wife. I don't always know how to reconcile that, right? That's probably some bad theology in my past. But here God still did the miracle through him. He still worked through my friend. He still in his mercy and love, not only for their daughter, but for the entire family, and in a way of just stepping into that delivery room and just being a, a testimony even to the doctors and to the nurses, God did this miracle. But the miracle, it, it didn't change my friend's heart. It didn't increase his capacity for ministry. He's a business guy, normal guy, is just out in the world doing his thing. It didn't change, really, his relationship with God. Was he thankful? Well, yeah, like he's got twins now. Every day is a miracle that she's there but it didn't change anything inside. It wasn't until much later that he was able to finally come out and confess that yes, he was being unfaithful to his wife. That God did some healing and he did some work in his life and he began to see how God was moving in his life and in his business, how he was moving in his family's life and and it was more than just the miracle, but it was the fact that Jesus wanted to partner with him and just last week at their church, he gave testimony just pointing to Jesus saying, it was only Jesus that brought healing in my life. And when I repented, that God moved again. And when he did this, 70,000 people heard this testimony. 70,000. Over 2,000 people came to Christ through his simple testimony. I think Jesus wants to do the same with you. He wants to do the same with me. Just like the 72, just like my buddy Andrew, you know, when the, the 72 came back, they came back to Jesus and they said, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they went to heal, they went to proclaim, and they said, even the demons are, are subject to us. And Jesus said, no, that, that, okay, but that's not what's important. What's important is that your names are written in heaven. That relationship that you have is solid. But the thing is, is that Jesus just didn't save us for us, right? He saved you so you could proclaim, so you could tell others about the gospel. And I believe that through this, Jesus has more. And that's a revealing. Now in this next couple verses, Jesus says something interesting. He calls them children. So if you can picture the 72 there, they're about to send out, and he calls them children. Right? They're going to be sent out two by two. 
And what do we know about children? They're expensive, right? <laughs> kids never believe that. My kids don't, but they are. I'm sure not getting any of it. No, really, they're dependent, right? Like our kids depend on us. They depend on us for everything, for food, for shelter, clothes. My kids are really into shoes. The shoes, they depend on us. And really, we have the example of Jesus. We have the example of how Jesus lived in complete dependency on his Father, a childlike dependence, which is also our example. So not only does he reveal our identity in this, but he also reveals who he is. He reveals himself. Jesus says in John 5.19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the, son loved, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So Jesus, did you catch that? Jesus himself said this. He can't do anything without the Father. He is completely and utterly dependent. However that works in 100% of his humanity and 100% of him being God and his deity, he completely depended on the Father to show him what he had to do next, and the Father worked through him in that. But Jesus goes one step farther and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. So Jesus leaves and he leaves us the task to cooperate with him, to depend on him and his Holy Spirit, to depend on the Father in everything that we do. And the beautiful thing is, is that it's not all on you. That Jesus is going to do the work. He's going to lead you to it and he's going to give you everything that you need. Amen? But this revealing can only be experienced in relationship. And we need to look to see where the Father is working. We've got to look around ourselves. And this can be extremely intimidating. I've been there. Like You show up in a country like Mongolia, they don't exactly give you an assignment. You kind of figure it out as you go after a couple years of language study. Where do you even start in, in, a, in a country that is... Uh, so incredibly broken, where there are so many needs in a variety of different situations, where do you start? We have to go and we have to, we just have to ask the Father and we have to lean on Him what He wants us to do. But in that, we have to live on this dependency that Jesus calls us to as we are, as children. So as Jesus chooses to whom He'll reveal Himself in the Father, then when the Father is revealed to you, you begin to see the Father's heart through prayer, through experiencing, experiencing Him, through Scripture. But the closer you look at the Father's heart, the closer you see His heart for the world. Now, my, my grandfather, he was a pastor, uh, well, he, I, I probably should have figured this out before I came up here, but he pastored for, I think, 40, 50 years. He was a preacher till he was in his 80s. When I was little, he would always give me this example, and he'd say, okay, Eric, this is you, and he would hold something in his hand. And he'd say, if Jesus' hand is around you, and the Father's hand is around Jesus, can anybody snatch you out of Jesus's or the Father's hand? And I would say, no, Grandpa, because it's obvious. And he'd go, yeah, come on, try. You know, he'd hold a pencil or whatever it was, and I'd try to get it out. And it just illustrated the fact that I'm safe in Jesus. That no matter what is going on around me, you know, whatever is happening in my life, that I am safe and I am secure in Jesus Christ. But the thing is, is that while, and sometimes this happens, right? We get into our own thing. I, I know I do. Even overseas, it's easy to just get into your own thing and do the day-to-day. From time to time, I've been known to navel-gaze a little too long, or I get caught up in my own thing for way too long. And I forget to actually kind of peer out and to look. 
through the hand that surrounds me, through the fingers, and just see where God is already working? That Jesus wants to reveal more than just your stuff to you. He wants to reveal what he's doing in other people's lives too, right where you are now. You don't always have to travel across the world. Look at the diversity of this room. It's ridiculous. It's great. It's beautiful. Jesus wants to do something greater than just what's going on in your place. He wants to use you to minister to others. And this brings us to our calling. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor, and take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, because I'm gentle, I'm lowly, or I'm humble. It means humble in heart. And the calling is that only in this will we find rest for our souls. So it's a weird thing. We take on the yoke of Jesus, and somehow that's rest for our souls. That when we trust Him, we cooperate with Him, this is rest. Now when I think of when I think of a yoke, in Mongolia we have these animals called yaks. And they're super gross and big and hairy. And sometimes they would put these yokes on them, right? And a yoke usually is like this big heavy wooden thing that lays across the back, typically over more than just one animal, but a couple, right? You can do it on one, but on a, on a couple. And it's, it's probably not very comfortable on their shoulders, but they're work animals, right? How much do they really care about the work animal shoulder, shoulders? But it's heavy, and it's burdensome. But Jesus is saying something different here, I think. He's saying that my yoke is easy and his burden is light. And I think, moreover, it's not just work, but it's also submission. But it's this concept of cooperation. There's something there where Jesus wants to cooperate with us. And when you're yoked with Jesus, and you've seen how he's working in your life, how he's worked in the past, how he's working now, and how he wants to use you in the future, if you could, I'd like you to picture Jesus' yoke as simply being his embrace, where he's putting his arm around your neck. It's not something heavy, something just that we can't really put a, a picture to, just this heavy thing that weighs us down, that somehow the ministry that you can do in your life is just going to beat you down. But instead, it is the embrace of Christ because He's already working and He wants you to come along with Him. He wants you to partner with Him. Jesus says in Matthew 25, that whatever you have done to the least of these, you did to me. I don't know how that works. That somehow in the opportunities that present themselves in our lives as we are merciful to people that need the ministry for whatever, whatever we have for them, if that's to feed them or clothe them or if that's to pray for them or bless them, that somehow we are doing that to Jesus himself. I'm not sure how that works. But the thing that illustrates that for me, what I hope you can see too, is that it's always done in community. It's not just about our thing. Right? Like there's times, there's people that have come to Christ through logic or through reason, argumentation, the C.S. Lewis types, right? That's not me. I came to Christ in relationship with a lot of people speaking into my life. That's how I heard about Jesus. And I'm guessing most of you are the same way. God still, he, he still speaks to people who are Muslim, right? And he speaks to them in dreams and he shows up and appears. The stories abound about that. It's happening over and over. So sometimes God goes directly to people, but typically, Typically, he does this in community. And so I want to encourage you in this today too. That somehow in this, wherever God has you, I want to encourage you with two challenges to cooperate. And then I'm going to wrap up with this. The first challenge is, is simply to love your neighbor. Okay, We're going to go through traditional neighbor definition. Who here has neighbors? Oh, come on now. Like 12 people? Right, everybody. Okay, there we go. Man, you're like Saturday night service in here. All right. So, 
so we all have neighbors, right? And Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I've had really good neighbors. Growing up, I had great neighbors. Sven and Lillian, like she was fantastic. She baked cookies for all of the kids in the neighborhood. And she even, I swear she imported dog cookies for my dog. If I couldn't find my dog, I'd go to Sven and Lillian's, and she'd be giving them these little cookies shaped like people, which is kind of sick if you think about it. But she called them people cookies. And so, um, sweet old lady, you know, she was fantastic. She was easy to love, but sometimes we have hard neighbors. Maybe God is calling you to love that hard neighbor. Maybe, maybe the Father is calling you to love that neighbor that, that took your weed whacker, you know, like last October. And maybe you should just bless him with that. Maybe he's calling you to love uh, that neighbor that plays music loud at night or whose dog poops on your lawn. I don't know. Whatever it might be, like we have hard neighbors. I know I've been a hard neighbor. My little girls used to wear these, these princess shoes, the heels made out of plastic, like super loud, and we live in an apartment building, I'm pretty sure my neighbor below hated us. But they were so cute, and they dress up. So, But still, like, even if Jesus is calling us to love hard neighbors, he's calling us to do it, and we've got to walk in obedience. So this month, I want to challenge you to that. I want to challenge you to cooperate with Jesus and see how he is working to reach your neighbors for Christ, whatever that looks like. Second challenge to cooperate is to go to the world. Now, this is a sermon in and of itself, so I'm not going to make it too long, but we have three options, really, as followers of Jesus Christ. The first option is to go, whatever that would look like. If Christ has called you previously, or if the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart now, you need to respond in obedience. You need to follow what Jesus is saying to you. There are a lot of people who have not heard the gospel, and if he is calling you, then you need to go and walk in obedience, whatever that looks like, wherever that might be. It might be a short-term thing, It could be a long-term thing. For us, we plan on going for 25, 30 years, maybe longer, and we ended up going for about 10. I don't know. But you need to go and you need to walk in obedience to whatever that is. The second option is to give. Right? We talked about the Great Commission Fund. Thank you for giving. You're giving to my family. I already mentioned that. You're giving to others all over the world. It's not just some random fund in Colorado Springs at our national office, but wherever Colorado is from here. Like, it, it's not. It's, it's to people. We're trying to be a light for, for, for the gospel to the world. So if you can't go, and maybe physically you can't, or it's past the time in which you can, but if you can't go, then please, please give. Please pray. There's been so many times where we've been overseas, and we've been walking on the streets of Ulaanbaatar, going through a, either a church split or infidelity of a pastor or whatever it might have been, and we're trying to wrestle with some of these things or personal attacks on our family business issues, and, and just like that, we know that somehow people that support us through prayer are praying for us at that exact moment. Please pray. Take it serious. There's people on the other end of the line here. Please pray. So those are your two main options. Your last option isn't fun. It's to disobey. Like, the scripture's clear. We can't beat around it any longer. Like It's there. And I know like sometimes, oh, we have, we have our excuses. I don't want to give a guilt trip to anybody here. That's not my goal. So no guilt or shame. But we have businesses, right? We have children. We have houses. We have stuff that keeps us here. But Christ can use you even in that. He used a little popcorn popper's stupid hobby that I had. Truly, he can use anything that you do in partnership with the Christian Missionary Alliance overseas. He can do anything with you in that. So if you're a doctor or if you're a teacher, I don't know, if you're an engineer, if you're an accountant, Lord knows we need accountants. Uh... He can use any of that stuff 
for that. You just don't have to be a pastor or a church planter. You need to broaden your definition of ministry a little bit bigger. Church planning, yes, that's hugely important. Pastoring, shepherding people, immensely important. But ministry is bigger than that. So with that, I, I want to just close in prayer. Leave these two challenges for cooperation to you today. and uh, Trust that if there's something there for you, that you'd walk in obedience. But Father, we come before you now and we thank you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. Lord Jesus, you've done the miraculous here. I've seen it. You've done the miraculous in my life. And sometimes we maybe want to hang on to those experiences. I don't know. We want to talk about the miracles and hope for that next one. But in reality, Jesus, you have deeper things for us. You want us to be there for, the, for those that have not heard the gospel. And you're working here, Father, and, and to imagine the implications of what could happen if people love their neighbors even just this month. The ramifications it would have for the kingdom. They might not have the opportunity to share the full gospel, but if they could love them with the love that you give us, Jesus, it would have an immense effect. So Father, I want to pray for our church here and I ask Jesus that you would just do the miraculous in our lives. Give us strength to love. If it's to obey and we're feeling called right now, Father, whoever that might be, I pray that we would not get bogged down in the details or the impossibility or even the weirdness of it. Instead, they would look to you and they would trust you in that, Jesus. So we commit today to you. We ask that you would continue to work in our lives so that we can minister and we can, as you reveal yourself, we build who to just reveal your truth and your love to others, Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.